Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another world. Hello, and welcome to Season 32, Episode 13 of the Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. I'm Jason. I'm Pooja. And on today's episode, Eric from New Jersey asks how to make horror games unsettling without using gore. Horror games. Yep. The single syllable is a different kind of game. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anonymous, they didn't want us to use their name, wants advice about a problem, about problem player dynamics in their group. And Mini Painter Jen (laughs) reflects on the power of the dice in RPGs. Mm. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Some of you have been very kind, but we still need more emails, so please write us emails. Announcements. Our Patreon was recently completely reorganized, so visit happyjacks.org slash Patreon to update your support. And or if you are not a supporter to see if any of the tiers tempt you to start supporting our community. So there's a bunch of new stuff. I just actually dropped some new shirt options for Patreons only and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Check it out. Gateway 2023 is happening at the LAX Hilton on September 1st through the 4th. And we will be there. We're going to have... It's like a month away. Yeah, I know. That's not... I mean, not even. Yeah. One week into August already. Yeah. Okay. So we will have a booth of like, as seen on Happy Jacks, where we'll be selling games and other stuff, different people. We'll be doing our live show on Saturday night if you want to join us. And we will, of course, be running a bunch of games. You can go to strategicon.net to buy a badge, sign up. If you run a couple games, they give you a free badge. It's like super great. So yeah. So again, that's Gateway 2023. You go to strategicon.net. All right. It is now August which I am very happy to announce a new Indie Designer of the Month, but it means I am one week away from going back to school. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, the Indie Designer for August is our very good friend, Rob Abair, And he is a good friend of ours. He's been on the show, especially at the live shows at the conventions. You can hear him. Yeah, we, loudly heckling at times. We, we jokingly refer to people as friend of the show, but actual friend, yeah, actual of, the friend show, of the show. Rob <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can find his games at nerdypapergames.itch.io and you can find him at Nerdy Paper Games on Blue Sky. Oh. I think that's our first like official Blue okay. Sky shout out. Yep. So we'll see. And one of the cool things about Rob is he is an incredible artist and he does amazing layout as well. Mm. So good. So his games are beautiful. So beautiful, they make me angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's very good. And the one we're spotlighting this week is my absolute favorite of his games. It's called Space Bounty Blues. It's a GM-less, planet-hopping, neo-noir RPG for three to six players inspired by the greatest sci-fi bounty hunter anime of all time. Hmm. I wonder what it is. I wonder what that is. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. Hmm. Anyway, but it's it's a beautiful game. Go check it out. Go look at it. It's stunning like the the visuals and like the art direction and stuff in it just like scream like cowboy bebop like it's a hundred percent like it's just amazing beautiful beautiful game 
It's the turn of the 25th century, and humanity has spread throughout the inner system. A network of colony clusters connected by transit gates make faster-than-light space travel possible. Of course, anywhere people go, crime goes with them. And when you can just blow jurisdictions at the punch of a hyperdrive, the man can't keep a pace. That's where bounty hunters like you and the rest of your crew come in with a license to run down and arrest the systems most wanted throughout all six colony clusters. Name your own price, uh, nerdypapergames.itch.io. <laughs> See ya, Space Cowboy. See ya, Space Cowboy. Yeah, it's a very good game. And it's awesome that it's made to be GMless. It's beautiful, and it's name your own price. Like, you literally, like, go do, like, pause, and make sure you come back. Pause and go and buy. It's just a great game. Open up a new tab. Yeah. Right now. And multi While you continue, yeah. <laughs> Even if you never plan to play it, it's like one of those beautiful games. It's like short and amazing and super simple and beautiful. And you just want to own it for inspiration in life. Mm. It's very cool. Anyway, I'm a little biased. Sorry. All right. I mean, he is our like highlighted designer of the. It is. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I also just really. Really love Cowboy Bebop. So it's yeah, <laughs> always so like, oh, that's so good. Yeah, so I well. need to go look at it too. Yeah, it's very good. All right. That's everything I need to say. So, mailbag number one. Somebody read it. You do it. No, oh, I got looked at by two people at <laughs> once. That means I must read the first mailbag. Two, two versus two teachers. Yeah. <laughs> we both did that. Point. Go. <laughs> that would explain the, the kind of feeling I got. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Kimmy and the crew of the USS Happy Jacks. Oh, I like that one. Mm-hmm. It's me, Eric from New Jersey. Again, admittedly, I have anxiety that you are low on email, so expect a bunch to come through. My apologies for that. No, and how dare you? No, don't apologize. No, please. No, no. Thank Keep you for writing coming. in. Yeah. Though this one is something that I am seriously looking for some information. Well, I mean, I would hope that they're all things you're looking for information for, yeah. but great. My Savage Worlds homebrew fantasy game is wrapping up after 30-plus sessions over several years. Amazing. And I started looking at what will replace it. While there is a chance that someone else may run something, I am not holding my breath being a forever GM who is running three different monthly campaigns Mm. right now. (laughs) Living the dream. I am going to stick to Savage Worlds because because it is a system I know very well and enjoy immensely. I just decided to turn the dials to very gritty in the system by using certain setting rules and run some psychological horror. I've gotten a hold of the Delta Green Adventure Impossible Landscapes, and I want to run that. I can adapt it to my system of choice easily enough. However, I've never run psychological horror like my good buddy Haster offers in this adventure. I have run horror games before. There are basics like describe, don't tell, a.k.a. don't ever give out a monster's name, and don't overuse the horror until they become numb from it. However, this is horror on a different level, even for Call of Cthulhu-type gaming. It's meant to unsettle the players as much as it should unsettle the characters. Not in a grotesque way, it's not gore. Just things like child clowns and stuff like that, or playwrights who are never seen but write about the PCs as if they are in a play. So, have any of you done or been in a horror game like this before? What advice do you have in addition to standard horror game advice for running such a game? As always, I ask that you stay gaming, stay tipsy, and stay diverse. What's up? Mugs held high. Eric from New Jersey. P.S. 
to the listeners out there, the Happy Jacks people are good people. All of you know this. So please consider writing in letters because that is what fuels the show. If they will read the ramblings of an old fool like myself, mm-hmm. and I have rambled on everything from the Diet Coke of horror stories to the death <laughs> of a beloved friend and GM, mm, yep, they will read your emails, no matter how stupid, and it is not stupid, you worry they might be, with the dignity such a letter deserves. That feels like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> Go forth, write, and fear no darkness. Except right. the darkness that we're going to recommend yes. for this game because it should be unsettling and fearful. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've all played in horror games. Mm-hmm. Pooja and I have played in a bunch of Call of Cthulhu together. So much. So much Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> so I feel like this is an interesting take, though, because, like, a lot of people do just kind of cut to, like, gore things to, like, unsettle people. So, mm-hmm. like, what are some strategies to use? So one of the things I've found really helpful, so I, I'll just preface this a little bit by saying I didn't know that I could GM horror. But apparently I'm okay at it, and I have unsettled some players within the bounds of what we had agreed to. I'm uh, not surprised by this. Now, part of it was gore and like body horror kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to remember things like body horror don't have to be gory. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, one of the villains I use, like in in one iteration of a being who could turn insects into giant insects. Mm-hmm. This person looked human, but there were little differences. Like it turned out she had two sets of elbows, right? Or all of her fingers were one knuckle longer. And there were just little things that once they got close, they were like, oh, what? What's happening? Why is this? If you can take something and ride close to what you know, they'll find upsetting. And again, this is a huge call for making sure your lines and veils are very clear and that you're checking in. But if you do all those things, I actually think safety tools make your stories stronger and you can push farther on those areas Mm -hmm. because you've had a conversation about it and you know, oh, somebody's like, oh, I I forgot to mention this. I should have mentioned it. You have the X-card ejector seat Mm -hmm. to pause and don't be encourage your players to do that. You don't want to like be enjoying your horror at the expense of someone else's yeah. comfort. Like the, there's just no reason to do that. Yeah, the Uncanny Valley thing like works well. It's very good. One of the things that always gets me, and I read a lot of horror, is like when someone's mouth like and they smile mm. and, and their cheeks keep going, and, like mm-hmm. their smile gets wider and wider until it's a slash across their yeah. mouth. Like, that always like viscerally is like, <clears throat> and I love it so much. So definitely seconding what Jason is saying there about leaning into things that are like just a little bit beyond can give you that baseline. Also, one thing like I really enjoyed about our Cold Kabulu game was like that there was a lot going on that we didn't understand and we're never going to understand. Yeah. So one thing about horror that I think is important is not to give your players answers to everything. Right. Mm -hmm. There should be a lot of unknown that can never be known. Yeah. I think a tricky part of that, too, and I don't know that I've always hit this well, but a component of horror is things being out of the character's control, Mm -hmm. right? But you don't want it to be so far out of the control that the players end up, like, just throwing up their hands like, well, there's nothing I can do. We're just in a roller coaster, and here we go. 
you want to feel like you can do something in the story and you know maybe there are consequences maybe there are points you're having to spend to keep going but but being able to ride that line of like there are things out of their control but there are things they can do about it that there's this line of like a movie like paranormal activity where the people in it are just fucked right there's nothing they can do okay i'm just gonna clarify like i'm not gonna get any of your horror movie references. i haven't seen it either i haven't seen any of the horror movies i can't watch ghost stories like, yeah i have not seen paranormal activity but i've had it described because i wanted to know if it was what i thought it was yeah. versus like ghostbusters who figure out like it's a little scary at first and then they figure out oh, we could just shoot them with our proton packs and like put them in a box. But that's right? not horror, though. No, it's not. It's not. But that's what can happen if you give the horror characters too much power. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Sure. Is Now, that's why it's not horror, is because they have control of their situation. Yeah, and that's one of the things that, like, stuff in the kind of Cthulhu-verse, different games, a lot of the, the ones I think do it, quote-unquote, right for me, are the ones that they can't fight back. Like, you've got a gun. Cool your yogurt dogs are not gonna like <laughs> oh no the yogurt dogs i don't know yeah. that was a very specific reference like Stu, when he was running the game there were like these weird like hound things i don't remember what their actual names were but they had some they were creepy and like someone described it as like their skin was sort of like yogurty oh and it was like and so we just called them yogurt dogs but they were fucking terrifying because like you couldn't fight them and that's one of the things like you shouldn't that powerlessness is something you need to find a way to capture. Yeah. Even if it's not from direct threat or something with gore, like, and I think that's one of the things that 10 Candles does really well. And I would recommend if you haven't played 10 Candles, play that because you can steal stuff from that and add it to your, your Savage Worlds game. The time limit thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Particularly the, if you're in an in-person game. I, I'm not sure if this was an in-person group. Yeah. Probably 30 sessions, I imagine, is in-person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the feeling of like, there is a finite amount of time that you can't do anything about really ramps up kind of the anxiety for both players and player characters. So I think that would be something that I would like start kind of like, if it's, you know, maybe it's not like the actual candles on the table, but maybe there's a clock that they hear. Maybe they don't know why. Like they hear like the big gong of a church bell or something every hour, but there's not a church around or like all these things. Like you can start tying in these things that help them kind of mark like this, like like keeping them aware of how long things are taking in game. And that can really lead to more anxiety and being unnerved by things. You talking about the ticking clock actually reminds me too that one thing that I think can really like get your players to buy in on horror is description of your environment, description of your characters, and having characters that they believe should act a certain way and subverting that, especially if you've got, like, characters who are introduced as a certain, say, archetype or whatever, but then their actions become more and more, like, they start drifting away from that archetype. Yeah. And that's one that I think is fun because they can... Those changes can start off really small and people as players, like you're just like, oh, the DM forgot what the player was like mm-hmm. or the character yeah. was like. And then it gets like more and more and more. And you're like, what is happening with yeah. this person? Yeah. And I like that sense of like when you go to somebody, you don't know. You don't know what you're gonna get back. Yeah. And that can be super effective, especially if you have player buy-in to use their trusted NPCs for that. Mm-hmm. So like their, suddenly their mother yeah. is like, 
weird. I'm just going to make some notes for the Sunday game. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> no, and that's perfect because it makes them not only like distrust those NPCs, it makes them distrust the world around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the things they think they knew, and it makes them not want to talk to anybody else. And it just like, oh, suddenly they're like them against everything. And that that's a very horror type feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, that isolation. Yeah, the isolation. That's the word I was looking for. Very good. Yeah. And to work up to that. So I, I found that really challenging to get where it doesn't sound like the NPC, I, I'm just playing them wrong or I forgot their personality. Right? Yeah. So, I, but to get into that with, like broad, like the crayon version of that is playing with like Celtic Fae kind mm-hmm. of stories, mm-hmm. right? Where they are beautiful and they have antlers and they have banquets and they dance and they whatever. And also, you can't leave. There are all these little things, and you know, you sit down to eat, and actually, all the meat is raw. Mm-hmm. It's not spoiled, but it's raw. Yeah. And this beautiful prince. Smiles too big and there's too many teeth in his mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just the Fae are kind of a heavy handed approach of what you two were describing, mm-hmm. but it can be good practice for, okay, how do I do that? And then how can I tone it down a little bit to make it even scarier? Yeah. Uh, a lot of stuff like kids are used a lot. And I'm not going to describe any like harm to children. So, but like a lot of times kids who are very quiet and then you just, you walk in a room and they like are all sitting still. And then the minute that you they see that you're watching them, they start playing. And then like the minute you kind of walk away and they don't think you're, they all stop again. Mm. Like stuff like that, where it's like, oh, kids don't stand still. Yeah. Sorry, this is like, this is me like <laughs> spread, like venting a bit. But, <laughs> you know, things like that. Or someone who's a very like caring character, like when that can be something you can, if they like, if the, the NPC or whoever it is doesn't realize they're being watched, and then a really caring character like kicks a dog Oof. or something like that. And then like turns around, oh, and then like the, the PCs are back talking to them. And oh, I would, oh, look at the kitty. Like, and like, and it's like this very like duplicitous, but in a way that is very cold hearted that can be really used to a great effect too. It's like they're seeing a side that they're not supposed to see and is being kept from them for a very specific reason. And that mm-hmm. can like make them be like, oh God. Yeah. And then also like, like, oh, well, they're cooking this thing and it looks really delicious, but the smell coming off of it is rancid. Yeah. Like, oh, you see this stew and it's beautiful and they're chopping up carrots to put into it. But then when you look closer, you see that bubbling up in it is something horrifying yeah like i don't want to trigger anybody Thank you. Yeah, or, on the podcast but like yeah, yeah you know something like that where it's like it starts off innocuous and then it's like the fuck is this yeah yeah and i think you're touching on something that i meant to say also is ping all the other senses mm-hmm. right like looking is great but is there a smell is there a creepy recurring sound right is there a hot gust of air over their arms is there a taste in the back of their mouth, right? That they can't get out. Yeah. And they, they keep like, every time they cough, it comes back. Like, what? You didn't eat anything that tastes like that. Why are you tasting metal? Yeah. Especially copper is good because yep. it, it's that reminiscent of blood without mm-hmm. without having to have any. Yeah. You don't have to have any in the scene at all. Yeah. But if your characters are tasting copper, mm-hmm. everybody's mind goes to it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Another thing is the flip side of that coin is takeaway senses. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you walk into a room and you don't feel anything. Like you, you're touching things, but you're not feeling anything. Or you're eating something you don't taste anything. And or think, like weird things like that, like where it's like there's, there's senses that are being, that they should have, that they had a moment ago, like that they step through a specific door. And then a thing like becomes absent and then they walk back through the door and it's back again. Yeah. And things like that can be used too. Another thing I really love, I don't, I'm not a proponent for secrets at the table, but I love in like doing horror or, or investigation scenes is when certain characters get certain information. Yeah. Cause it immediately ups everyone's kind of anxiety and like curiosity and like feel of danger. Yeah. So as a GM, if you have, like horrific things happening around the room. Like one, like post-it notes are your friends. Yeah. <laughs> like write down, you notice that they have too many teeth and you hand it to one player. You don't say it out loud. Yeah. And then like, you have a weird copper taste in your mouth and you hand it to somebody else. And then they all wonder. And then like, are they going to talk to each other about it? And then like, it's just. I've it, even put like, you have a weird copper taste in your mouth and you find you can't say anything about it out loud. Yeah. Something like that can be really fun. Uh, if you're into props. Um, oh, yeah. Then making up, Stu made that awesome newspaper mm-hmm. <laughs> for the beginning of our Call Cthulhu game, yeah. a telegram, like little things like that, but but like give them that weird bent. Mm-hmm. Like you find this note and it's kind of like, it's a grocery list, but in the bottom right hand corner is the sign of Hustler. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff can be really fun for players, especially if you've got people who are like, I'm going to, like, without going into the secrets thing, like, if you have one player who's investigating a certain area and that's where that item is, you can give it to them. So then even just those few beats before they bring it up to everybody else can get you that same, like, heightened feeling without, like, alienating anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Repeating things, too. Oh, yeah. Like having a a cat that they just see. Why is that happening again? Yeah, especially, like... If they've gone to a completely different city and it's just like the exact same cat or a song that just kind of keeps showing up wherever they go and um, just weird things like that. Even if you don't actually have a reason or a tie in, like things like that, just put them on edge. I had an experience. I don't, it wasn't a cat, but I was doing something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, so this cat. And it was something I had described again and I had written it down so I would do it word for word, mm-hmm. but I didn't like indicate it very much. And one of the players was like, Oh, you told us about this already. And I just kept going and did not acknowledge uh-huh. their comment. And then when I did it again, everyone was like, oh, no, like backing up from the table. Like, <laughs> what the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> but like, if you can repeat something word for word yeah. in a way that is like, and you're not going to acknowledge mm-hmm. the, like that can be really unsettling. Or they say it and you're like, did I? And just like keep going. And then when it happens a third time, they're like, oh, I get it. Just like they, yeah. like with Jason. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it takes like the third time for them to realize it's not just a mistake. And that's okay. Like, I think yep. that's, that an, that's an amazing. Yeah. It's like, don't be afraid that like if they don't get it the first time. Yeah. Just keep, because it's that repetition. It's going to take a little bit. And it makes them like, once they make the first realization, they're going to be looking for those repetitions. Mm. And it'll take fewer times the more you do it. And it's something that I feel like if you use it specifically, it doesn't lose effectiveness Mm -hmm. for just having more than one of them. Like if there is both the song and the cat in different locations or different times, and it's like, okay. And then one of them, like the cat could lead to nothing, but the song leads to something in the plot. Mm -hmm. 
And that can be really interesting as a player just to like, which one of these is important? Are any of them important? Is that guy going to come eat me at night? <laughs> like that anxiety as a player and as a player character can yeah. be so satisfying. Mm-hmm. And the the realization that you're not going to explain everything as a GM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, because I mean, for us, I like, I'm a very, like, I explain things. Anyone who watched Unsung Tales knows how much I explain things, like a lot. Here's yeah. the entire history of Middle Earth, friends. <laughs> but if in a horror game, like, like Jason didn't didn't correct himself. He didn't be like, oh, I'm doing that because you are actually experiencing this thing again. It's totally different, but it's exactly the same. Like that kills it. Yeah. Like be like, oh, oh, sorry. Okay. And do describe yes. everything they should be able to see in the room. Don't just expect everyone to see what you're imagining because you've dropped a couple clues. Right. But you don't have to explain all the tricks. Yeah. When they're like, oh, you said that already. Be like, okay. And then just like, don't be like that little bit of like suddenly, like the third time it happens, like them all backing up from the tables, them realizing also that Jason isn't holding their hand. Like Jason is <laughs> not like showing them and explaining everything. And that's a little bit of like, oh, too, that really like helps with the horror vibe. I think it also makes me a little bit of the trusted NPC that you thought you could rely yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And now that is a tricky line to walk for a GM because. You have to be a reliable narrator yeah. on one aspect of it. And so one of the things I love about a lot of PBTA games is the perception skill mm-hmm. always says, like, tell them honestly, you know, like, a- answer that honestly, mm-hmm. right? Which it seems like, why did they have to say that? Oh, because GMs are used to just, like, lying to their players. I think NPCs can lie to characters, mm-hmm. right? That's fine. Yeah. But the GM should never lie to them. And if you want to tell them you don't know the answer to that, there's no way you would know what you're asking me right now. That's an answer. That's an honest answer. Yeah. Right. Or like, is that blue clock running? You have to tell them, is it running or is it stopped? Mm -hmm. Or is it you saw it click five minutes ago, but it hasn't. And now it's just clicked another minute. Yeah. Just give them that. Mm -hmm. Right. But because they're not actually in the world staring at the clock, like sweating and like trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah. So don't lie to them as the GM, but feel free to lay breadcrumbs and let that tension, mm-hmm. let, let them wonder, like, what did I not ask? Like, yeah. what? You can't lie. You sh- shouldn't lie to them, but you don't have to answer all their questions. This And that's like one thing that was actually going through my mind from yesterday's game, Tales from the Loop, when Dave was running it. He's like, look, when you ask a question, I'm going to answer it honestly, but I may not answer it fully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's up to your discretion as a GM. But like how much information you give them is going to be dependent on where they are, who they are, what state they're in, where they like all these other factors. Yeah. So don't feel like just because they rolled well and they get to ask the question that they need 100% of the information. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the game design of Apocalypse World where the bakers say, it's not interesting to roll to see if somebody, if the bartender's lying to you. Mm-hmm. Just tell the players what the bartender said and then tell them the bartender is definitely lying to you. You can tell. Mm-hmm. Then see what happens. That's a great in that type of game where it's, it's you're playing out of power fantasy, mm-hmm. right? Like whatever that flavor is. It's yeah. dragons or apocalypse or science or whatever. Like, But horror takes a step away from that. Yeah. And you don't 
get every piece of information. Yeah. So. I mean, and what's an interesting thing is like, because players will ask all the time. I asked all the time. Like, are they lying? Well, they seem very sincere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They believe what they're saying is another way. Oh, that, those like, are the creepiest. Yes. Seriously. Like, oh. that they believe what they're saying is like, ah, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, entirety of the story behind my most common username online is my answer to various perception checks. <laughs> it's probably okay. Probably okay. Yeah. Oh, you rolled a three? It looks fine. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine anything going wrong with it. It's a big patch of floor. Yeah. Totally, <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Or, or on a terrible roll, telling them, okay, that grate looks like spikes are going to come up through it. Those paintings definitely have eyes looking out from them. And and then their you know, their character <laughs> has to decide, are they going to tell everyone else and sound like a crazy person? Or no, like they also meta know that they rolled poorly. Yeah. And so what I'm telling them, half the time it's true and half the time it's not. If somebody rolls a bad perception check in my game, mm-hmm. sometimes I give them true information. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Sometimes it's just luck. But mm-hmm. that's not lying to them. No. I'm no, telling them what's in front of them. Yeah. And then they have to decide if they believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Or like even farther from that, whether their character believes it right. or not. And to me, that's the essence of a perception check or an insight check yeah. or an investigation is can you trust your senses right now? Yeah. And making the players doubt, well, not the players, the, the characters doubt their own senses and thus the players doubting like their outcomes and the information that is being like collected from you and the NPCs and from each other and all these things. That is key to horror. Mm. Like they should not be able to trust their eyes, their ears. And a lot of the different things we've talked about so far have also kind of tied in with that. But not being able to trust the world around you is like the key of of horror in most senses. Speaking of not being able to trust, I just want to shout out that whole like how many times we like had these dream sequences in our Call of Cthulhu game where like they were presented as real world awake time Mm -hmm. and it was just like i was shook like i was shaken as a player yeah (laughs) like oh so you would play out a scene and then be told that it was a dream like you would find out like you would just go and you would start to do a couple of things and then something really horrible would (laughs) yeah and like we're like it's like okay it's that and then there's that trope of like you wake up Mm -hmm. you wake up you wake up oh yeah and that's that repetition thing again. It's yeah. like, which one of these is really be away? Yeah. Like not being able to tell. Because we were going into like other planes. So we were oh. like, it was like Cthulhu, like horror, like Inception kind of. Yeah. We knew we were going to this other plane in our brains. So we were choosing to go there. But then it started getting muddled about which one we were in. And like we had memories from a bunch of them. It was very cool and weird. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that Stu did it right. That. There's also the risk of like, you're in the holodeck the whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, which is really risky. Yeah. Actually, Dave did a really good version of that. Was it it Dave or Adam? Both probably. I forget. Like, we had a great version of it here. Mm -hmm. But there is that risk of like, and it was all a dream. It just like pulls the rug out from under everything you were trying to do. But you all knew that you were like delving into the dream realm. And well, shit's going to get weird. So like, that's great. Mm -hmm. Well, and there was also like... It was not a Dallas. A Dallas, yeah. (laughs) But like to key into that too is the amount of time 
that we were in it before we found out we weren't in the real world mm-hmm. is also key there. Yeah. Mm. We weren't able to do, like, we didn't go and investigate a bunch of places and yeah. then find out we were dreaming. You didn't have hours of game time. Yeah, exactly. that would have been awful. We're talking, like, at that point, you're talking, like, 20 minutes maximum mm-hmm. to have your players have enough time to relax and think they're okay and then pull the rug out from under them yeah. and not feel like they wasted a bunch of, like, real-world effort. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you can give them something from that experience mm-hmm. that they can... Like, okay, this thing you saw in the dream is now showing up in other places and you have some background for it now. Like, you can actually do something with that, which is... Mm-hmm. Yogurt that, dogs. Yeah. Not that um, we could do anything about that. No, as much as I tried. Just so run. Hard. Just run. That's all you could do and hope that... Yeah. Oh, it was wild. <laughs> so many yogurt dogs. Yeah. And then, like, the other thing that you can do that is not gore is bring dead characters back. Oh. Mm-hmm. In whatever form that ends up taking. Yeah, just not like gooey zombies or whatever. But yeah. Like, yeah, you can just have them show up. Yeah. But like, maybe it's not. Yeah. Or have them sort of start seeing them. Mm-hmm. Like they think they're in a crowd and they're like, oh, that's them. And then they get, oh, no, where did they go? They're gone. Or like they see like in a mirror or in a picture. That's super unsettling always. Mm-hmm. Um, super good. If your group also has the, like agrees to this level of buy-in, there's also a level where you can like jot down everybody's perception scores or whatever and then roll it for them, mm-hmm. right? And then tell them like, you can even say like, okay, Pooja, I'm going to roll your perception, okay? Boop. It looks like there's a trap over there, right? <laughs> because on some, like I know if I am a player in that situation, I like removing the meta, you know, like I try to separate that as much as any player does. I want to operate separately from the fact that I know I rolled a two. Mm-hmm. But there's a kind of a fun part of that of like, okay, the DM just rolled my perception and gave me information. And I don't know if it's reliable or not, but I know that the DM is being honest based on what they rolled behind their screen or whatever. But my lack of information as a player is still enjoyable because I agreed to that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm sorry, I could talk about this all night. I love horror. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not... As into horror movies. Um, yeah, I'm not either, usually. But I read a lot of it. Like, when I get in the mood, it's like, oh, I just consumed six horror books in a row. I'm never <laughs> sleeping again. <laughs> like, it just, there's something so satisfying about that that unknown and the loss of control. And I find that it's something you could ask your players about because... When we talk about things like resolve checks or composure checks and things like that, especially yeah. in settings like Call of Cthulhu, that sometimes, like, there are two sides to this. They have a really bad resolve check and you take control of their player for a time. Mm-hmm. Or you have a really bad or, bo- or oh, Sorry, yes, character. Well, for I a mean, time. depending on your level of buy in, <laughs> you take control of your character for a time. <laughs> or you're like, okay, you have broken. Your resolve is is now like effed. What do you do as a as a player for your character? And sometimes, like a lot of times, it's like when you have like a really bad role and your player is like, "Oh, this terrible thing happens," and it's it's oh, worse than the GM ever thought. Way worse. They will come up with something way worse than you're thinking of GM because yeah. the GM is thinking about all of the NPCs and all five or six players at the table and juggling all this stuff in their heads. And like all I have to do, like on Sundays, even it's not really horror, but like Sarah is like altering somebody's body and 
it triggers this thing that I have in my notes. And I ask them like, okay, are you in control of this power yet? No. Okay. Here's the next thing we have to do. And they're going to tell me when we're done doing that. Mm -hmm. And that's fun for us. I think too, Delta Green tends to be like more modern. Like a lot of times like Cthulhu is like the 1920s. Messing with technology and how it works and making it unreliable. Tying back into what Pooja said, like having them get calls from people who are dead and things like that where it's like, well, this could be a prank. Like this could be someone faking this. But they knew a thing that only that person would know. I want to add a potential homework assignment. It is gory, but there is a bunch of other stuff in it in the movie Annihilation that is horrific, right? I mean, it is like the most chilling horror movie I've seen in a long time. Unsettling, disturbing, and there are gory parts in it, but there are so many other components Mm -hmm. that I think were just masterpiece of creation. And I would highly recommend the book as well in terms of description and like just a really, really amazing skill in writing things that don't seem that bad at first blush. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, and then actually that reminds me because one of the things that the book does really well is tie back into memories that the MC has. Oh. So it's this back and forth and it makes you think and it makes you wonder. And it's like, is this a thing? Like having something from a character's past, like having them remember something as a, like triggered by a thing that they're currently seeing. Like you see this music box and it looks exactly like the music box that your grandmother gave you when you were 10 you like all of this like it can just go on and on do you open it like do you open it is (laughs) it playing the song that you remember from when you were 10 or is it playing something very different yeah why is it playing that song in reverse Mm -hmm. so stuff like that but yeah the the book is also amazing also that main character wasn't white oh that's important (laughs) okay i didn't know that with horror and stuff too, it's really important. I can't tell. I don't. I don't know if Impossible Landscapes has a version specifically for Savage Worlds, or if you're just like adapting it. I know Arcting Publishing has one, so I don't know if it, they're not. I don't know if it's Savage Worlds it's, compatible. But whatever you do, make sure you have things from your backstories of your PCs yeah. that you can weave into things, the, like the the mother or the cousin who died you were best friends with or the music box or whatever it is that you can start pulling into things that can be incredibly effective to making things unsettling for pcs yeah especially if it's like secrets from like their childhood so if it's not like built into whatever you've got make it built in like write a question sheet like what was the traumatic moment you had as a child obviously like you want to do lines of all that's carefully but like your character your pc like what was a scary moment that like you had as a child that your adult self sometimes dreams about or (laughs) things like that. So all these things that you can then start weaving into the story, even if it's not something that's directly tied to Big Bad or whatever, just like these forces trying to unsettle them would definitely try and tap into that. And it can be very, very effective. (laughs) Sometimes you can even accidentally fall into it. Like, with the Supers game, I said, tell me about a recurring dream you all are having and everyone described a nightmare. Yeah. It we was amazing. just through a very traumatic event. Yeah. I like, mean, but the nightmares were, we each described our own and they were all very intense in very different ways, mm. which was also fun. And that can be even more so like in a horror game. Yeah. 
And it can give you great insight to what the character finds scary. Mm -hmm. So if they're describing their nightmare and something with like physical violence, okay, that's what they're, they're scared of. If it's something about someone disappearing, then okay, they're afraid of loss. So all these things, like you can really like tap in, even if you don't use the exact things from their dream, you can start using like the overarching like theme of what they describe as their nightmare to be what you kind of like make swirl around that particular character. Getting super heavy on the psychology here. (laughs) And that's the amazing part about psychological horror. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like so much of this, so much of the stuff that we've been talking about, the methods and the census thing and all Mm -hmm. of that, like it doesn't have, like it's ephemeral. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's just part of what is happening. And your player characters never have to find out the reason for it. Yeah. There never has to be a mechanic explained in that universe that explains what they were experiencing. Yeah. yeah. As long as it's building the mood of the overall like monster you're going for, like it, you can feed it. You know, you don't have to explain why the floors were all sticky, mm-hmm. right? Like, and the wall smelled weird. Like, like why does the wall feel damp? Yeah. Or for those of you who hate this word, moist. Mm, <laughs> delicious. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Like all of these things are are tactics you can use with any system or or horror setting too. Like mm-hmm. whether you're playing like the actual Delta Green system or you're playing Call of Cthulhu or maybe you're playing Dresden Files in like one of their scary moments. Like yep. these are all different things that you can like plug and play. Yep. for all these different types of, of games, too. So mm-hmm. it's just a, a vibe. Now, getting more specific, Aaron and chat suggested Ashlaw, the trajectory of fear as an excellent resource. I haven't read it, but okay. I trust Aaron. Aaron's awesome yeah. from Queen's Court for Games. Sure, yeah. mm-hmm. And also the Debt Willers insert for Cthulhu Dark. Oh, um, I bet. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I would also, like, if you have the opportunity, go play some other systems that are horror-based. Yeah. Go play Trophy Dark. Play Ten Candles. You know, find something else. Sorry, I know we have to move on to the next one. That's okay. But on on those other systems, Zombie World by Magpie Games, Mm -hmm. which doesn't have a whole setup for making it a super horror thing, but the thing that is incredible out of that is the bite deck. And so there's a, like, when you encounter zombies, you draw a card from the bite deck. There is one card in the deck that says you are bitten, finish the scene, and die. Yeah. Right? Like, or turn. Oh. You, you've turned, yeah. right? Like, figure out how you finish the scene and then turn. And that might be you get off somehow, you arrange that, you go out in a blaze of glory, you whatever. But you don't shuffle that deck until somebody draws the bite card. Yeah. Then you put all the cards back in, shuffle it. It might be the top card again. It might be the bottom card. And you're just going to keep drawing cards off that. And that sense of inevitability, hear that, Mr. Anderson? Yeah. (laughs) Is terrifying. Yeah. And if it doesn't include it in the system, make shit up. Have Mm -hmm. a deck of cards where, oh, if you draw the Joker or if you draw a heart or something. Or like, hey, if you roll doubles of something, not to like pick on you specifically, but then you have like a vision. Or something like that. If you can, you can weave that into Savage Worlds like super easy. I mean, there's already card the card element in Savage Worlds, so you can like. I feel like you could come up with something super cool with that. Mm-hmm. Inevitability. I didn't Inevitability. enunciate. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe when I was pretending to be Mr. Smith. 
Agent Smith. Agent Smith, yeah. I wasn't enough to... Uh, Mr. Anderson. I get crap, what's that actor's name? He's he's also... Elrond. Elrond. That's his name. Elrond, in, famously in The Matrix. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, yeah, there's another letter. <laughs> there's two, there's more, two letters. more letters. Shall I do this one? Yes. Mailbag number two. Hello, Kimmy and the Happy Jacks crew. Hello. So, I have a bit of a problem with player dynamics in one of my gaming groups. Rather than ask the HJ Discord community, I thought I'd write an email for discussion on the advice show. Uh, is this the one that's anonymous? Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure we're... Yeah, okay, cool. I understand wanting to write an anonymous... Oh, Weaving, thank you. Hugo Weaving. Yeah. This is a solid tactic. Yeah, ask for help anonymously. A few years ago, I wanted to put together a new local gaming group that played narrative-focused RPGs like PBTA, Fate, Trophy, and other story games. Most of my local gamer friends were pretty focused on D&D, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, and other very trad RPGs. So I cast a pretty wide net. Lo and behold, I very quickly put together a group of five people with whom I had gamed with before, but none had played with each other. All but one of the players were very excited about story gaming. That one player, who I will refer to as Player X, was a little hesitant about story gaming, but was looking for a new RPG group and agreed to give PBTA a try. I thought this might be a good opportunity to introduce them to a different playstyle, and I I hoped they'd come to love this style of RPGs as much as I do. After more than three years, this group is still together. Wow. I mean, one that's congratulations. Incredible. Player X says that they very much enjoy playing with this group. However, it, it feels like they still haven't gelled with the other players. They also don't quite seem to get how PBTA and similar narrative-focused games are supposed to play at the table. For example, they don't seem to enjoy the writer's room approach to collaborative narration. They also are not particularly forthcoming when it comes to things like character establishment questions, setting up inter-character bonds, or weaving their characters' backstories with those of the others. They'll participate, but seem to only put in a minimum amount of effort and frankly don't seem to like it when other players make suggestions about things that happen to their character. They have told me that they find many PBTA moves are too constraining. I've explained that a deliberate design choice to enforce game uh, genre conventions. Oh, that's a deliberate design choice. And they say they still don't like it. I've found that player X is most engaged in the game when their character is off on their own, interacting with the world solely through their character's point of view, the way you'd play a trad or OSR game. And they also seem to play characters who are motivated to solve problems with violence and regularly try to push conflicts into fights, even in games that don't emphasize combat or even include a combat system. <laughs> sure. Okay. So like Good Society, uh, The <laughs> Brawl. The br- <laughs> That'd be amazing. I mean, Good Society and Zombies is what I want. Yeah. That's, I, Good yeah. Society and Cage Match. Yeah. The Dowager would kick ass. Come on. We all know who. Yep. Yes. The player is generally friendly and polite, interacts with the storyline, and seems to be enjoying themselves. That said, they've got a very sarcastic sense of humor, which can come off as mean spirited. I know that some of their jokes have rubbed two of the other players the wrong way. Those players have mentioned it to me. I've also gotten a few not quite complaints about them from other players. Now, along the lines of, I don't really understand that play, what Player X is getting out of this game. 
And I've noticed that the most positive post-session feedback has been sessions where player X was absent. I know the answer is to have an out-of-character discussion (laughs) with this player. And normally, I'd have no problem with doing that. But every other time I've had to have that kind of conversation, I'd be able to point to some specific problematic behaviors, such as talking over people, not respecting boundaries, regularly not showing up, or playing characters who are disruptive in a that's-what-my-character-would-do kind of way. But in this case, it's pretty much your vibe is off, and I just don't know how to address that. I'm hoping that Kimmy and the distinguished panelists could give me some practical advice for this situation. Thanks. Keeping myself anonymous for this question. Well, KMAFTQ. <laughs> so right away, the playing characters who are disruptive, that's what my character would do. That's what's happening with those combat scenes. Mm-hmm. That you, you, You're actually, you've got a backup already. I know it's tough with, if they're like, well, when did I do that? Like, look, man, I didn't keep a log, right? Like, I'm not an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but... Like- Okay, Let keeping a log is not having you be an asshole. <laughs> no, but if you're... It comes off at, you feel like a jerk. Yeah, or like, well, here, let me read you the dates and times in which you did this behavior. Yeah. is Like, if your goal is to get them to change their behavior, I'm not sure that after three years of gentle conversations, that that's not going to happen. Nope. So what you have to decide, unfortunately, is are you ready to uninvite them from your game? Which is... You don't have to explain anything. You don't have to say it's about the fights or it's about the vibe or whatever. You can just say, I don't think you're a good fit for this group. Now, that sucks. After three years, that is way easier said. In my 30, I realized I said 25 years the last time. I've been gaming for over 30 years. And in that over three decades, I have uninvited two people from a table. Mm-hmm. One, very formally. One, because they walked out of my house and never spoke to me again, which is yeah, <laughs> fine. Like, yeah. that, but I mean, we we both knew what was happening when they walked out of my house, but like, that was a weird day. It was. Kimmy was there. For, were you there too? <laughs> I think I was, you were there. If it is what I'm yeah. thinking yeah. of, you're there. Yeah. I, that was so weird. Which is another one that I'm not going to get into great detail about here on the show, but it was horrible. Both <laughs> times were horrible when I prepped for it and knew that I had to do it. And this time where it was sprung on me, both times sucked. There's no good way to do it except the next week when everyone gets together and that player isn't there, you are going to feel high. Like (laughs) it is an incredible, like the payoff of that very difficult thing is worth it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I, I'm writing this letter and the whole thing in three years, like this person may really enjoy playing with your group of people but they do not enjoy playing the games that y'all enjoy playing. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe like that can soften the blow. It's like, look, we are really only going to get deeper into story-based games. And it is obvious to me and the rest of us that you don't really enjoy those. We're happy to invite you back at a time when we decide to play more traditional RPGs. Never. (laughs) But like, like, it can be a way to soften it, but it really feels like there's, that this is a rift that is only going to get worse going yeah. forward, not better. Yeah. yeah. So I have a couple of suggestions that are somewhat passive aggressive. Oh, set the game to every other week? <laughs> yeah, then with that. Again with this. Again. <laughs> I like Pooja's suggestion. It depends on how much free time you have, but maybe if you're someone who does also like 
more traditional games and you're open to having multiple games happening or you know someone who is running a game, like do the thing where it's like you go on a date with a person and you're like, oh, this person isn't for me. But you know what? I think you'd really love my friend, Mm. which is actually how... My uncle became my uncle because my mom oh. my mom went on a oh, date funny. with him and didn't work out well. But she was like, I think you're going to really like my sister. And then he dated my aunt and they got married and they had a bunch I, of kids. I so. bet that happens more often than we think. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like you could like, if you want to keep this person as a friend, I don't <laughs> like, I can't tell from the email, like if this person has become a personal friend as well as a gaming group friend. It kind of doesn't sound like it. It doesn't it really sound like doesn't. it. But <laughs> like if you are in a small town or who knows, like. If you've gotten this group together and there's not a lot of space between you and them, you might want to try and hand them off in a way that is kind of positive like that. Yeah. By finding another gaming group that they might enjoy more that are playing more traditional games. Because it sounds like other than not really like meshing with the games you're picking, it doesn't sound like they're a problematic player as far as like they are doing things. Like- well, if they're, if they're initiating these fights where the group's trying to come up with another way to solve it, that's pretty disruptive. Well, it's hard. To, you can't tell from the email if that's something they're not realizing they're not supposed to do. or Because okay. if they're not really understanding the mechanics and the way PBTA works, is, which is how it's described in the email, they may not realize they're not supposed to do that. Yeah. And they may just not have that many tricks up their sleeve, you know? And it does sound like a lot of these things, like when we started, it's like a lot of these behaviors. It's like, oh... This sounds like people who used to having to come up with detailed backstories. This mm-hmm. sounds like people who aren't used to like intermeshing their character stuff with other characters. Yeah. But also it's been three years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I, I feel like maybe one of the prompts you could use, like I can't really write the speech for you, but if it's something along the lines of, look, this group, everyone but you, that's a, don't say it like that, but like <laughs> the group is really getting a lot out of these intermeshed backstories, these back and forth moments, the collaborative storytelling moments, the really like sinking into the moves in our PBTA game and, and, and vibing with that whole genre and just like feeling it. And it seems like that's not a good fit for you, but we want to keep doing it. And you're, it's not feeling like a good fit, right? So we're going to keep doing this and we'll call you when we play D&D. Like some version of that might be better. Or just lie. If this is not a person that you have a lot of outside personal connection with, it might be better for your feelings and their feelings to do the whole it's not you, it's us thing and like lie (laughs) and just be like, I'm super busy right now. We're going to stop after we finish this game that we're playing right now, this system. And yeah, I just don't know if we're going to have time to pick it back up. It's been a great three years. Thank you so much. Take two weeks off. And then text everyone And else. then text everyone else and invite them back. Yeah, and you could tell them that you're doing that ahead of time, yeah, too. Yeah, like, definitely give them ahead, the other people ahead. Because they'll, they'll be like, wait, no, we want to get you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you're going to have to... Now, it sucks, like, when you see them at the grocery store or something like that, or they might text you and be like, hey, you guys gaming anytime soon? Like, you're just going to have to keep lying about it. But again, that's like, if you have connection with this person and you're going to see them, don't do the live version. Yeah. But if this is someone you will never see again... Once you stop playing with them, that might be the easiest way to go. And I also like, I get that I'm saying that this is a little bit of like a family point of view because sometimes being honest with a person can be physically dangerous yes. for us. Yeah. Yep. So, like, that's also, there's like some of that I know from like me factoring that in, which may not be a problem for you, Anonymous. I don't know. But that 
Sometimes it's just easier for everybody involved. I mean, yeah. Like, lying and then letting it take longer and longer before you respond to their messages. Um, or just don't. Or just, yeah. like, and just you know? ghost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, there's no reason. If you're like, hey, we're not going to play again. You thanks. also, yeah. From that point of view, you don't owe them that. No, you, you don't owe them a whole detailed explanation nope. and, and all this kind hand-holding and whatever. Like, unless you are wanting to maintain this friendship outside of the gaming group, there's no reason to twist yourself in knots about that. If they have connections with other people in your group, this is another problem. Yeah. You don't want to lie. Oh, yes. Yeah. So they're like banging someone in the group. Then you should probably figure out another way to like, do it. Well, that, and or that's their roommates. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, or something like that. Or, yeah. 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 If it, that's the situation, you might want to just keep kind of just dealing with it. Or rip the bandaid off and say, this isn't a good fit. I don't think you should come anymore. Or that's the, but that, the that's problem the with that is like if they're dating or banging or roommates with someone else in the group, that other person's going to be in a weird situation too. Well, yeah, you'd have to talk to them first, right? And say like, hey, we're going to uninvite your boyfriend from this thing, right? And and that's where the handoff thing could be really great though. Having been that person. Like the handoff can be... Wait, which person? The, we're uninviting your boyfriend. Oh. Nice. I have been... Um, I was not surprised. I have been the, not intentionally, but kind of unintentionally, the uninvited roommate. Mm. In retrospect, that was actually like a great situation for me personally. (laughs) (laughs) Because like it was a very trad. Oh, yeah. Like murder hobo style group. Oh, sure. And getting out of it was just like really nice. But but at the time. I mean, at the time I was hurt. Those were my friends. I was still seeing them all socially. Yeah. But and then my roommate would come up and tell me all about what happened at the game. Oh, that's not cool. That was great. I got a kick out of it. Okay. But the handoff can be really good there because then they found a better fit and yeah. they're both still like whatever. But but it doesn't even have to be as close as them being roommates or banging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if they hang yeah. out socially yeah. and you have <clears throat> lied to them, that lie is going to be exposed. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings mm-hmm. around. Yeah. And that is just like so if, much mess. If anyone in the group is maintaining a friendship with this person, you got to do it the hard way. That's or I mean, and again, you don't I guess there's like the explan there's the the version where you don't lie to them, but you also don't owe them a bunch of emotional labor mm-hmm. where you're just like, hey, we're gonna end. I'm gonna take a break after we're done with this game. And I don't know when we're gonna pick back up. You've not lied to them and said, I mean, you've sort of lied to them, but like then if they ask later, if you pick a game back up with other people, they're like, Oh, I thought you were ending. Yeah, it wasn't a good fit. Thanks for playing for two, three years. And then yeah. you just kind of do that on the back end. Chances are they'll probably never even ask you or confront you about that. Because yeah. most people, when they find out, are just like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not invited anymore. Okay, cool. Unless you're a fan person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It can be that. Yeah. Sorry. I just want to make a thousand yards. I, I, just think, I, I just want to just be super clear. Like, yes, you can have the bigger conversation and explain why, but you also don't have to like it's not your job to manage this other person's feelings or to like let them down gently so like you have to kind of manage your mitigating factors of and your safety is number one yeah well yeah yeah. that's the thing yeah for sure yeah minimizing harm is is ideal one quick little pet peeve that i'm going to throw out here is they're talking about how restrictive pbta moves are my tagline is your moves are not the only thing you can do. They're the thing only you can do. The rest of the game is whatever you want it to be. It's not the only thing you could do. 
So, And that is something that, like, even playing a lot of story-based games, people might not pick up on. Yeah. And if that was the only problem that the, was yeah, that's happening with this player, I would say, like... Totally not germane to this discussion. It's just, like, bugs me every time I hear it. Oh, see, I was going to fight back and be like, no, you're wrong. Like, they are absolutely very limited on purpose. But Yeah, but they're not the only thing you can do. Right. That move is specific, but it's not the only thing you can do in the situation. Mm-hmm. I think you have to get more specific, but I, I think especially if you're someone who who jumps to like fighting because that's the thing you've been trained to do in in uh, D&D or whatever, just wanting to go up to a, and punch somebody in PBTA sometimes can be more complicated than you'd want it to be. And it does also depend on the GM, especially if you're pa- playing the PBTA games that are not like designed for combat stuff. Yeah. Like it is easier in some of them. Like Mask is made to have like big superhero fights. So that one's easy to figure that out. But. So I guess there I would say like, okay, there's no move in masks that says kill the bad guy, right? And that's because it's not the theme of the game. Right, right? but and, I think that's what they're running into. Is like they're, the, the player is playing in a way that they're not really getting the idea of a theme of a game. Yeah. And they're wanting to play like dungeon crawl fighty every time. So I think, I don't know. It can absolutely feel very restrictive when that you're jumping in and you're not bought in or you're not quite understanding the the design intent of that particular PBTA hack. Sorry, it's not like I've been obsessing about PBTA moves constantly for the last three weeks <laughs> as I designed my own game. But it's like, and the last three days specifically, like writing and revising the wording of triggers on specific moves, like they can be incredibly specific when a specific move triggers. Yeah, moves and some, should be specific. Yeah. But we were even having this conversation when you guys did on Tuesday, last Tuesday when you guys were doing the Starscape playtest we're doing. Because like one of the moves was too restrictive. It made it so you couldn't use it when you felt like you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Is the feedback on one of the moves. So sometimes it like with all the PBTA both of you have played, if you're feeling that about a move that's not perfectly written yet, like it can be very easy for people who are not as familiar with it or still haven't quite grasped the concept of it to definitely hit those walls. And instead of seeing them as like a trampoline to bounce off of or something to build on, just seeing it as a wall that they can't get over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that had nothing to do with the email. But no, but that's yeah, super that's, interesting. That was fair. Yeah. Excellent points. I don't know if we solved your problem, but. If we didn't write in another email. <laughs> I mean, I would like to know how this turns out personally, yeah. not from like a voyeuristic way, but like I'm. It's just like I have anxiety about your game group now. Watch you have fun. Um, yeah, because I also remember the first time we played without that person there and the just elated vibe in the room. Like, yeah, it was awesome. Honestly, like when they walked out, I felt elated. <laughs> like, I know I know it was like stressful and yeah. awful for you, but I was like, all right. Like, I didn't say it out loud because I'm not a total asshole, but. I mean, there is also that sense that, like, once that person was gone, everyone in the room stops having to manage that person. <sighs> yeah, and there's like, a huge sigh. And, and like, even if it's not somebody who's super disruptive, if it's somebody who just, like, in this case, someone who constantly is trying to, like, go off on their own and rejecting any advancements from, uh, like, or advances from other players, like, to... It sounds like your players are holding out their hands. Yeah. And their hands are getting slapped every time it happened for three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as players, like, that's exhausting. Yeah. And to constantly be like, oh, I guess this person's going off by their stuff again. Okay. 
then like having to like meta decide, okay, are we going to do what we really wanted to do? Or are we going to try and follow them? So we include them or it is super exhausting as a fellow player and as a GM, like you managing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, maybe start with an anonymous survey about the game <laughs> to everybody in the group. Sounds like they're past the survey. No, I know. I'm There's definitely been surveys. No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, kudos for all the things you've done right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not your fault that nope. this is happening. That's probably one big takeaway that yeah. I hope you can hear that from us. Like, you literally did everything I would have done, at yeah. least, which means it was right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> And I, I think it's important too. Like, this is one of those situations where it doesn't sound like there's like a bad guy. Like, I don't think this player has necessarily done anything like wrong for other than like what I think Pooh just phrased it best. They like playing with your gaming group, but they don't like the games you're playing. It's like when your friends all go to a restaurant that's like a type of food you don't like and yeah. you kind of go and you're like, but you're very clearly like not having the best time or not knowing what to order and everyone's like it's just a bad match and yeah. it's like like your friend who goes to chinese food with everyone and orders a cheeseburger yeah yeah it's just like, it's like okay wild. i mean if they have a cheeseburger wild but, sure you know and, but in that situation it doesn't affect everyone else at the right table, yeah. right like if they're insisting everyone should get cheeseburgers mm-hmm. i mean it's it's like your friend who who just isn't into it who like no matter what restaurant you go to yeah is always like Oh, do we have to do this now? Yeah. It's like, oh, dude, like maybe different, maybe I mean, different things are better for you. I will admit that when I did like a couple of like the kind of like when I was super into different parts of fitness at different points, I was like doing whole 30 and it was like, I can only have specific grains and no legumes. And it's just like, and then I'd go to restaurants with people and it was just like a thing. And wow. it was, it was never like awful but it was a little annoying. And I'd yeah. have to ask that waiter a bunch of different questions. And it's just like, horrible. Yeah, it's so annoying. And it's just kind of like, it doesn't ruin the night, but it's sort of just is like... Not for you. Evil, right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, everyone's just a little put off by it. And like, we keep going, but it's like, or you're like, oh, I can't go to that restaurant. No, I can't go to that restaurant. I can't go to that restaurant. It's just, maybe don't go to restaurants with your friends. Like, right. like I mean, like... The only problem I have is that it, now I've I've been gluten free for like like twelve years. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, I miss you. Huh. Um, <laughs> but but like even then, it's enough of a problem where I'm like, but then whatever. Just not to completely derail. It's like it's an annoyance. It doesn't have to be an annoyance. This is supposed to be fun for yeah. everyone. And yeah. if it's just one person who's a bad match, let them back release them back into the ocean of TTRPG group. Yes. Yep. Swipe yeah. left or we're, right. Which one do you do if you don't like it? Left? I don't know. Okay. No I think idea. it's left is not like. Rejected. Because okay. that's what I put in demigods and I hope that's what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up at the time. Okay. I okay. think it's swipe right for a match. For a match. Okay. And swipe left for no match. Yeah. I hope. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh, you could write a poem or a song about how they're don't not a good that. match for your song, don't for your that. game. Send that to them. Yeah, flowers with a very clear card that says, please don't come back to my house ever to play games if you're playing. If you're online, you could just never send them the right Zoom link again. Just block them. Mm. Oh, good. Thank you, James V. I was now anxious about this. So, (laughs) Okay. So yeah, right is matching. Left is no match. Yeah, good. So these are all terrible ideas. Don't do any of those. (laughs) But I do encourage you to resolve it. Don't just tough it out and live with it. One way or the other, 
If, if you have to lie your way out of it because it's dangerous, do that. Whatever you have to do to get out of it, get out of it. Mm-hmm. Like get out of that situation. It's not worth all of this time and effort that all of your group is putting into the game. And I know it's kind of unfairly landed on your shoulders and that sucks, but talk to the rest of your group, tell them what you're doing. Maybe just one-on-one with everybody and be like, or if, if there's like a couple in the group or whatever, you know, like talk to them and say like, look, gang, I'm planning on uninviting this person. Are we on the same page? Right. And that's, that's like one, the, the non-explosive version that I did, we all had met with the GM at the mm-hmm. time. And he's, he was like, look, I think we have to uninvite this person. And we all did it together, like as an intervention. Oh, it sucked. It was the wrong way to do it. We were all like 25 or whatever. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's even worse. We were bad at everything. <laughs> yeah. It just sucked. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I could see taking that if it's like a person who's been your friend for a really long time and you're hoping to continue the friendship afterwards. Yeah. If that's not that, don't do that. Just send a message. Do, you don't have to do it in person or face to face. Like, this isn't, you don't owe them that. Like, like that that emotional labor on your for yourself is not required for this, probably unless like surprise, it's like your cousin or something. Don't, yeah. don't do that. But yeah, well, it did sound like they had, the letter writer hadn't met any of these people before yeah, yeah. that, so at least we know that they're not knowingly related. Yeah, they're not family. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, knowingly. No, yeah. All right, mailbag number three. Okay, it's my time to read. Huh? Hey, all. I thought I'd share something that happened in the most recent session of my Monster of the Week campaign. Sometimes the dice can tell you truths about your world. (laughs) It's not, but it applies. The Monster of the Week was a siren. While investigating, the party was given some video of the siren singing. I had everyone roll to see if the song in the video affected them. The entire party rolled 10 plus, complete success. They succeeded so hard that we interpreted that the siren song simply had no effect if it's not live. Oh, that's mm-hmm. fun. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Later on, they tracked down the siren at a rave. She got up on stage and started singing to the whole crowd. Then the heavy hitter among the PCs confronted her and she sang again, trying to target him. He rolled twice to act under pressure. One when she was singing to the room generally and one when she was targeting him specifically. Again, he succeeded both times with a 10 plus. It was a banner day for dice rolls. The character's an angel. Based on the die rolls, we decided that clearly angels are immune to siren songs. I don't know if they'll ever encounter a siren again. If they do, we now know that the siren songs don't work over video and don't work on angels at all because that is what the dice told us. Mini painter Jen. That's awesome. I That's love that. so cool. Yep. And just like being open to run with that and not getting frustrated and be like, oh, no, my monster can't do anything. Like, first of all, it's PBTA. You could use a hard move whenever you want. Yeah. But to let the dice be part of that storytelling thing is really fun. Yeah. And it opens you up to all kinds of different interpretations, like based on what the dice rolls are. Mm-hmm. If the group had all succeeded with 10 pluses, except one person who like rolled to six minus, and then it's like, okay, it, why is this person specifically affected for video when no one else is are they specifically more susceptible like if this if your heavy hitter your angel was the only one affected it's like are siren songs super effective against angels mm-hmm. like it's it's a fun thing that you can make go a bunch of different ways i love that yeah, yeah. and you don't have to prep all that ahead of time 
it, it actually would be a little less fun if you had decided how it affects everyone ahead of time because like now you can't play into this situation that the dice helped you create. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's like long call back, <laughs> but uh, the, our hedge mage situation <laughs> where like Stu had this amazing, like super powerful mage that like, I am no mere hedge mage. She like says this right before we start combat. And we just like annihilated him in like four rolls. It was very, like before he got a turn. Yeah, like before he even got a turn. Like also don't give your players like rhinos. They're very effective. But yeah. Or do. Yeah. <laughs> the dice a hundred percent decided. No, he's totally a hedge mage. Yeah. Particular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's not powerful. And no, he's he totally this character that was supposed to be an amazing, powerful like mage ended up just being a braggart who couldn't actually do anything. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Yeah. Which is an awesome way to play off. Like sometimes the combat is just going to like, it's easy to, when you're a GM, kind of like pull your punches a little bit if like the player's dice really hate them that day. But sometimes it can be really hard when they succeed super well to still make it feel meaningful. Mm-hmm. Or to turn that, like, what was supposed to be your, like, big poster child battle yeah. <laughs> into something else. Like, yeah. the pivoting in, like, that, it's like, oh, well, you had all this setup, and it turns out, like, that dude was just a con man. Mm-hmm. And, like, his reputation was such, but he actually had no power. Yeah. And that kind of stuff can be fun to play with at the table, especially, like, if you're used to improv or things like that, mm-hmm. like, where it's like, well, <laughs> moving in a completely different direction now. Yep. Or like, oh no, their patron deserted them at the last moment. (laughs) He's carrying his diploma from the Wizards College, and it's clearly a forgery. Yeah. (laughs) Do we have um, any like no mere hedge mage merch? Oh, we should. uh, What if it was like a shirt with the like image of the hello I'm right, (laughs) and then no No mere hedge hedge in like handwriting font? All right, I, I like it. I like it. I've been obsessed with designing merch lately. It's so much fun. <laughs> All right. Anything else? We agree. Dice are amazing. And that I think that's why we play role-playing games instead of just doing improv games. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the luck and the randomizer, whatever it is, just adds so much yep. to it. And I would say, PBTA GMs, don't be afraid to use your hard moves. They're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. But when you can let the dice sing, it's, that's really fun. I think it's that whole meme, right? Where, like, it's the... Like the D&D meme about how like the fighter is trying to hit the orc and <laughs> and like critically failed yeah. and the orc critically failed and they end up married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. You, yeah. you swing your axe, you awkwardly caress his shoulder. <laughs> yes. Like, ooh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, What's happening here? Up. Oh, this game just changed. Is this something? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about half-works now. Look, you you brought me in. You know what I am. We did. <laughs> we did. Yes. <laughs> Which actually, I mean, yes, if you're going to do that much of a pivot on your tone, make sure you have player buy-in. But, or maybe just hand them the meme. The meme. Yes. <laughs> the meme. All right. I think that's it. Okay. Thank you for joining us for Season 32, Episode 13 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Rob Ibear. NerdyPaperGames.itch.io. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their amazing ranks and all see all the awesome new organization of the Patreon and all the new tiers and stuff at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. My name is Kimmy. I'm Jason. I'm Pooja. 
And today we're going to leave you the song by the Merry Wives of Windsor called 500 Miles. And it is a mashup between the Proclaimers 500 Miles and like the traditional version of 500 Miles. Oh, that's fun. It's very fun. Yeah, it's like an old, old pub song, right? Like, uh, Well, the, the 500 Miles is like a... It's like a, a westerny folk song. Oh, and, uh, so oh, okay. Yeah, it's the if you miss the train, I'm on. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one with the Proclaimers, right? Da, 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 which is like super fun to sing. And yeah, I've at a concert ever, like everybody starts doing. It's very fun. Yeah. Anyway, so flash from my past, Merry Wives, 500 miles, super fun, and we will see you next week. All right. Bye. 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 If you miss the train I'm on, you will know that I am gone. You can hear the whistle blow a hundred miles. Lord, I'm one. Lord, I'm two. Gets drunk next to you and when i have her yeah i know i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the one who's hearing to you and i would walk 500 miles and i would walk 500 more just to be the one who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your Red
This show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sues performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. 